0: Hello and welcome to the Answers for Cancers podcast. I'm your host Anne-Marie Fay. And
1: I'm Michelle Matthews. Together with some of Ireland's leading experts, we want to unravel what it truly means to have cancer. From consultant diagnosis to treatment plans, from managing your symptoms to supports available, we have it covered. So whether you're a nurse working in oncology or have been personally affected by cancer, this podcast is for you. The Answers for Cancers podcast is sponsored by CarePlus Pharmacy. CarePlus Pharmacy is Ireland's leading community pharmacy brand, offering expert advice and services for a healthier and happier you. Find your nearest CarePlus on www.careplus.ie or follow them on social media for health and wellness inspiration and tips. Moon Fitzpatrick is a highly
0: accredited psychologist who has practiced for over 30 years with two main areas of focus, optimal mental health and optimum performance. She has been a psychologist to many GA teams, some of whom have won All-Ireland Championships, and she was also appointed psychologist to the Irish Olympic team for three Olympic Games in 2004, 2008 and 2012. She's been an agony aunt on Today FM from 2011 to 2018. She's a regular keynote speaker and has also lectured in many different universities. She works with individuals on dealing with anxiety, depression, grief, and building self confidence, all but to name a few. On top of this, she is the incredible author of Tell Me the Truth About Loss, which was published in 2020. Neve joins us today to talk about grief, but not only the loss of a loved one, we discuss the different types of grief that a person may experience, such as the loss of identity and the loss of fertility that can oftentimes be associated with a cancer diagnosis we're very very grateful to have Neve on the podcast her experience and wealth of knowledge in this area is invaluable and we feel very very grateful to have had the time um that we had with her and um, we just want to take a moment to thank her for taking the time out of her busy schedule to um speak with us and we hope that you get as much out of this conversation as we did
1: so, Niamh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. There's, I think, someone really special to all of us who put us in touch, so I'm so delighted that you're able to join us on the podcast today. Um, you wrote a book, Tell Me the Truth About Loss, and I think I might just read a couple of words from it before we begin, if that's okay, because I think it's really the premise of, of what this podcast is about. Um, if that's okay with you, I'll just read a couple of lines. There's three really different types of loss throughout life. Perhaps your loss is a death of someone you love. Maybe it's the end of a relationship, or the realization that you'll never be a parent. It could be a life-saving medical. It could be a life-altering medical condition, a miscarriage, or an accident that sees you having to say goodbye to the life that you once knew, or the hopes that you had for the future. Whatever it is, any loss can cause grief. So thank you so much for that. And I think, you know, one thing that we notice when we speak to our um our oncology patients is that. Yeah, grief isn't always death. There's a lot of other things around Mm. that as well. So, thanks for joining us today to speak about that, Neil. You're
2: welcome. Thanks for inviting me.
0: (laughs) And so, yeah, like Michelle said, we're delighted to have you. Um, And I wonder, just
2: before we start, if you don't mind, just telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Um, So, I'm a psychologist. I'm a psychologist for 30 years. This (laughs) year, Um, so I work in two main areas. So mental health around the mental health space, things like anxiety, grief, depression, stress, um, burnout or any of those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And I also work in the performance psychology space. So that would be things like around, you know, sports psychology, performing under pressure, um, performing on the big day. So it might be with sport, but also it's evolved over the years that I'd work with people from music or uh, any other fields where there's a performance bit and it's really the two I, I work within the two and then I've probably mo- moved much more into the grief space now in in the last four years because I have I've been bereaved myself so and and I wrote this book really on foot of that and on foot of understanding um my, my sister Dara had died um suddenly overnight and and dramatically in an accident and the feelings that I have experienced around her death and her loss since then have been so overwhelming and so unlike what I knew grief to be as a psychologist I just mm. I just had no idea but what happened was that I began to realize as I grieved Dara that I had recognized some of the Feelings of loss in other times of my life, but I had never labeled them as grief then because nobody in those times, nobody had died. So mm. so so my marriage ended and, and I've been through that journey of infertility um, and I had to make peace with not being a mother. And so it's the loss around that. And I found echoes and reflections and, and a mirror of some of those feelings in the feelings of loss around Dara mm-hmm. and that's what really prompted me to to write this book because I think when we think of grief we think of death mm-hmm. yeah. but grief isn't only about death it is of course about death but it's about so much more and I think that's an important conversation to have really which is why I, I wrote this book. Mm-hmm. Well firstly I'm, I'm,
0: I'm really sorry for the loss of Dara and um, the other bereavements that you mentioned um, but I just think it's incredible that you've been able to turn that situation into writing this book and the fact that this book has already and will continue to help so many people so thank you so much for doing that um, and the, I can't get over like the extents of your experience I'm absolutely fascinated by everything is psychology so I'm so happy that you're here with us today i feel very blessed to be able to talk to somebody like yourself so um i Thank suppose you. we might um we might get into um starting with um exactly what grief is if you don't mind and defining grief and how it might manifest or present itself
2: in our bodies well, i would say grief is a natural response to loss so so it's not a symptom it's not a problem it's a state it's a but it's not a state with a start and a middle and an end you know for many of us we will grieve until we take our own last breath in life we will grieve some of the losses in our life and grief is about learning to live with that loss and and finding the way over time to live with that loss but it's a state that's so complex so you say there you know how does grief manifest in the body I would say firstly that you know, grief impacts us physically, emotionally, cognitively, socially, behaviorally, spiritually, you know, in every which way. There's a there's a model of grief. There's a theory of grief um, Tonkin's theory of grief. And what it is, it's, it's that um, if you take, for instance, if I drew a circle in, you know, on a page, do a circle and I take a pen and we draw lines all the way across that circle that circle is essentially your life what's in that circle is your life and if somebody dies or if you experience a loss in life beyond death even those lines represent how that grief touches every part of your life because those lines touch every tip and side and corner and top and bottom of that circle Mm -hmm. and what maybe was used to be thought was that and what a lot of people would believe is that when you're bereaved or when you're grieving something in life, a loss in life, that over time, that that circle, that grief piece that reduces and it gets smaller. You know, the way you'll hear people saying about, well, you know, time heals everything. Mm. No, it doesn't. Mm. And and what we, what we know now and Tonkin's theory talks about how we actually grow our life around that grief. So if we took a, a pen and we drew a wider circle around the initial circle. We grow our life around the grief mm-hmm. and and we learn to live with that grief alongside our loss. So, so grief is something that can be with us. We can still go on to live our lives, mm-hmm. but that that loss can be with us. And in terms of how it impacts, well, the emotional impacts can be around, you know, it's not just sadness. Grief's about it's about rage. It's about loneliness. It's about resentment. It's about fear, anxiety. They're huge parts of grief. Mm -hmm. Um, loads of things like that but it's then physically I would break the physical things into two parts so I would say for people when we experience grief it's perhaps maybe the grief piece there immediately when the loss has been experienced or you know is understood and then there's maybe the physical grief piece after that ongoing so I know when Dara died that actually my body told me that she had died before my mind did so in the moments when I was told that she had died, I felt it in my chest. It was like a kick in the chest. My, my stomach dropped. My, I felt lightheaded and dizzy. My whole body was just as if it had been hit That's probably the best way I can say my heart felt heavy, but yet I felt empty. You know, how can a space, a cavernous space within your chest feel heavy but empty at the same time? But it did. I felt that if you had tapped my chest, I would be like the tin man and you'd hear that tap, tap, tap back at you. And and it was physical for sure. And then but that I would say with grief in terms of how it manifests, it can be the immediate manifestation when a loss is understood by somebody but then ongoing you can find things like it interrupts our sleep it can impact our appetite our energy our immune system we can become quite unwell I know certainly I ended up with colds and flus this is you know in the few years before covid colds and flus and sickness to the point where I ended up with pneumonia and hospitalized with it so so it can impact us in many ways and uh, my hair fell out my hair began to fall out and and it's understanding that essentially you know grief is not just about tears mm-hmm. it's about a physical body and our heart and our head completely impacted and overwhelmed by whatever this loss is in our life mm-hmm. That's
0: amazing. I I um I think it's really powerful, like hearing you talk about grief in that way. And I know I just love the analogy of the circle because I definitely know, even uh, from my experience and like our family and how we've dealt with grief. There's definitely is that misconception that oh, in time you'll feel better, but actually years later and um, the grief is still the same. But like you say, it's to think of it as in we live with the grief is is a great way to think of things, isn't it? And it actually takes the expectation off that you're not waiting for this day to wake up feeling oh, everything's fine again, you know? So um, thanks for sharing and that. And
2: I would describe that as being like, to, to, to sort of, you prompted that when you describe your own family situation, Henri, that it's almost to me as if when we are grieving, mm-hmm. it's as if somebody throws you a bag of rocks. Mm-hmm. So you've experienced a loss in your life and it's as if somebody throws you a bag of rocks, this heavy bag of rocks. rocks and you're told that, you must carry this bag of rocks for some they will we will carry it for a lifetime for others that you know that might change but the thing is is it's your loss in your life and so nobody else can carry that bag of rocks for you you must carry it yourself and i think as i said and what you were indicating there is people used to think that you know but in time mm-hmm. it'll get better all this kind of thing i think that's where we're going wrong with this when we think that it's that It doesn't get better, but we get better at carrying the bag of rocks. So in the beginning, in the early days and weeks and months and years, I mean, Dara, we just had Dara's fourth anniversary in March. And I see I can feel a lump in my throat even now when I say that to you, because there's still parts of my even even four years later, even going through writing of the book and, and and getting it all out. There's still a part of you that it reaches and touches and just really hurts. So so even after all of that time, I'm still working on it. But in those early days and weeks and months and years, you may stumble in your grief. Mm. You may struggle. You may not look like yourself. You may not feel like yourself. You may not behave like yourself in life. You might be turned out, upside down and inside out with this grief. But then I think what happens is we begin to strengthen. If we're carrying the bag of rocks up the hill, we begin to strengthen our arms we begin to strengthen our back, our core, our legs. And it's not that the the grief and the sorrow for the loss in our life reduces in size, but we become better at carrying that loss. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the things that I did um, when Dara died, I did one, the thing they tell you not to do. I jumped onto Google um, a few days after she died. It's just gone up to... Up to Black Sod where she died, and um, just I needed to see it. And I was in bed that night after seeing where she died for the first time, and I obviously I couldn't sleep. So I did that bit they tell you not to do, and I jumped onto Google and I put in grief. And I found this quote from a writer, a psychotherapist and writer called Megan Divine. I haven't read her book yet, but I know of it, and she's done some great work around grief. But this quote was: "Some things in life cannot be fixed." They can only be carried. Mm. And and I think that helps us understand what this grief piece is about is it's not about fixing it. It's not about feeling better. It's not about closure or, you know, um, moving on or any of that nonsense that we hear sometimes. It's about learning to live with the loss in your life. Mm. And that's what you're describing there, Anri, in your own family, that it's an understanding that you're coming to as a family.
0: Mm. I think I love that part about the quote because I know there's quotes everywhere all day every day now but I think like sometimes a a quote can be so powerful can't it you just hear it and see it at the right time and it can just click and yeah
1: I love that you mentioned that um and so what we might talk about and I know we had a little discussion about this just before we started but about the five stages of grief and and maybe how some people could navigate through that would you mind telling us a little bit about the five stages of grief
2: so the five stages of grief is actually not a thing (laughs) that's the first thing to say (laughs) so the work you know the work that most people would refer to when they think of this five stages of grief is work that was done by elizabeth kubler ross And she was actually working with terminally ill patients Mm -hmm. and she was hearing their end of life stories. And she noticed these bits around denial and around anger and bargaining and depression and acceptance. And she noticed these and and, and she did some work around these and and spoke and wrote about these. And I think these over time were sort of, um, you know, morphed into, looking at the bereaved, and there was a sense that, well, when you are bereaved, first you will meet this stage, then you will meet this stage, then you will meet this stage. That's, A, not how her work was meant and started, um, and, and B, it, it's not how it is. <laughs> it's yeah. just not, grief is linear, is not linear. Grief is messy. It's a lurching from one state, one place one feeling to another and back again often in the one day often within the one hour so so why the five stages and it's a wonderful question that you've asked because it is such a, a common and popular perception around grief And why that five stages question is important is for people to know that there isn't set of stages through which you must pass and and why that's important is because that sense of well often people will say to me but what am I doing wrong Mm. why am I feeling I haven't felt anger yet or I haven't felt acceptance yet or I haven't felt whatever the thing is you know and I and and it's that sense that but that's okay there's mm-hmm. not a line, you know, on which you must follow. And if you don't follow that line in your feelings of loss in your life, mm-hmm. then you're somehow wrong. That's just, that's just quite frankly, it's incorrect. And more so, you know, th- that sort of theory that we meant, that I mentioned earlier around the Tonkin's theory really around that we grow our life around the grief, or say there's a you know, another theory that's a really good one is the the dual process model. So that talks about that in grief, what we do is we can move from what we call a loss orientation to a restoration orientation. Mm. So as we move along with that grief, so that's where some days we're stuck in the loss. Mm. All we can think about is, the person who has died or the loss in our life or the change in our life because of a diagnosis, perhaps, Um, and that we're focused on that and our, our body is focused on that and we feel that. And some days that's where we are. And then some days we have a half hour or an hour or a half day or a day where we're stuck in work. And I mean, I don't mean stuck in work. I mean, stuck, in sort of embraced in work, you know, and or we're with friends or we're doing something that's a, in air quotes, normal bit mm-hmm. of life. And, and it's the restoration orientation because we're moving to a restoration of some sense of normality in our life.
1: Mm-hmm. And we
2: oscillate between those two states, between the loss orientation and the restoration orientation and that can help us move through this expression and this feeling of grief in our life because there is no normal once you're i think once you've experienced the loss in your life you don't go back to normal Mm -hmm. it's not like going back it's about absorbing the loss into your life and accommodating your that into your life and adjusting it's all the a's absorbing accommodating adjusting adjusting your life to begin to live it with the loss so that's not going to be about stages it think of it more for yourselves whoever's listening to this and you're experiencing loss in your life think of it more as an oscillation between different sort of states emotional physical states and that that oscillation is okay it's going to help you actually learn to live with this loss in your life. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. And it's I think it's so important because I think sometimes, you know, you could be speaking to someone and they say, like I thought I was at the acceptance stage and now I'm angry again and it's it's so it's great to actually say no that's that's good. That's okay. Mm-hmm. You don't have to follow this linear path like sometimes I think i don't know like we think we do like that the five stages of grief when i was thinking of this conversation the first thing i thought of was the five stages of grief so it's really thank you so much for breaking that down it's really reassuring i think you know grief like you say
0: is so messy and we we definitely don't want to have some kind of structure set up that we feel like we can fail at you know like we don't Grief shouldn't be something we think we've failed at. I don't think so. Yeah, thank you so much. I think that's going to be really powerful for people to hear Um, in that way. um, I suppose in our experience, when caring for people with cancer, we find a lot of people say they grieve their life before cancer. Um, Have you seen this? And how do you think people could begin to maybe understand this or process it in any way?
2: Yeah, I have um, worked with clients who have had a cancer diagnosis and, and I would say it could be cancer. It could be a life changing accident. Um, there are any number of circumstances in life and bereavement of course, is one of those two in which literally life becomes before and after it's almost, your life is almost split in two. So somebody who receives a diagnosis of cancer and of course that diagnosis is very different for each person is very different now than perhaps it might have been years ago it doesn't have that same feeling with it Mm. for everybody that it might have had before but there can nonetheless be that sense of life before and life after Mm -hmm. and and I think how you can help yourself in that is to understand that no matter what your diagnosis or no matter what you know is going to happen in terms of treatment and what that's going to involve it's understanding that there has been certainly at that moment a loss of the life that you had before and that you're going to naturally feel that loss in some ways and for some you know they will go I noticed some people go quite pragmatic and they will say well look it is what it is. I am where I am. I'm not really going to f- focus on anything other than what are the things that I can do now yeah. to help myself. But for a lot of people, maybe for more people, I would say there's that sense of, but the carefree life that I had before cancer came knocking at the door. Yeah. I miss that. Mm. I They'll say, I want to I want to just worry about the stupid things. I don't want to worry about the big things now, big with a capital B,
1: yeah.
2: you know. And so I think you help yourself by by acknowledging that loss and acknowledging that there, there is a life that I did have. And maybe at some point I will be back to that life or some version of that life, although you'll never be the same person because mm-hmm. of what you're experiencing with this journey with cancer. Um, but it's understanding that that life for the moment is a different one. And that it's OK to miss those pieces of your life. And you're not being ungrateful or you're not being daft or you're not being ridiculous or you're not not coping. Mm-hmm. Remember, we said that grief is a normal response, a normal natural response to loss. And there's something there about maybe almost, I want to say, a loss of innocence. Yeah. Now that really resonates with the two of uh, you. Look, yeah, and
1: yeah, massive innocence. Good. Yeah, yeah, it really does me. I think I'm thinking of a story somebody said to me before, and they said they could feel the shift straight away. It was the minute before they felt a lump, mm. and the seconds afterwards, and something changed in those seconds, five seconds, and mm. they yeah. automatically felt the, that exacting, that innocence. I was about to go to bed and I didn't have to think of anything I didn't have to worry about anything other than Mm -hmm. getting up the next day and going to work and it is it's a loss Mm -hmm. of innocence isn't
0: it And I I often see as well there's a there's a a lot of guilt and like around the fact that maybe they didn't some people feel like they didn't actually appreciate what their life was beforehand and I think guilt comes into it massively in that respect you know
2: Yeah. And guilt would be part of loss. Guilt, absolutely, Mm -hmm. along with the resentment and the rage and all of those other things can be a part of loss. Mm -hmm. And I think that bit around that before and after there's life going along, going along, going along. And then you have this moment in that person's instance, those few seconds and life, your life just changes. I think what happens there is you're for me personally, and I find with people a lot, it feels like you're changed on a cellular level. It just feels like you are literally changed physically as well as emotionally because it's so huge mm-hmm. when, when you have that loss in your life. But I think you have those internal feelings around it. But then what can happen, you know, with, say, a cancer diagnosis is there's that sense of, and I have this with a lot of people, is that, so now how are people going to treat me? Mm -hmm. And what will they do? And how will they be? Will they, will they, will, will I have, and this is, I, I've sort of talked about this in relation to bereavement, um, which is what I call the head tilt. And I, and people mean this again, you're nodding. So I know you know what I mean. (laughs) People mean well, they mean really well. And I, I believe in people. I think people, I think most people are good people. Yeah. And I think like all of us, we get it right sometimes and we get it wrong sometimes. But with some people when you're bereaved or some people when you have a cancer diagnosis, you get this head tilt, which is the, are you okay? Yeah. You know? And it's just that they don't really know what to say to you. So it's coming from a good place. you know. Yeah. They're worried about you. They don't know what to say, but they look at you differently. Yeah. They treat you differently. There's a cotton wool. There's a kid gloves. I absolutely have had clients who have had a cancer diagnosis and the only people who knew were their medical team and some members of their family Mm -hmm. and nobody else knew because they didn't want that sense of, because the loss there for them Mm -hmm. is the loss of the person I am, the loss of my identity in the world. Mm -hmm. The the world maybe now, perhaps they might say to me, the world will see me as uh, poor you yeah somebody to be, you know, pitied. Mm-hmm. And and there's and that's where the rage can come in. I've had people sit in front of me and say, cancer's bad enough. I'm not dealing with that. I don't want people to pity me. Yeah. You know? And so there's a so there can be a loss not only of the innocence in your own life, but there can be a loss of what are other people going to be around me and how will I fit into this world and then there's a loss of things like practical things I talk about in the book I talk about the admin of grief Mm. so the practical things around you know there's a loss of maybe the life you've had because you now have to attend appointments and those appointments are perhaps scheduled at certain times and for, you know, different with different things going on in your body, we'll need to do this. And then when this happens, we'll need to do that. Mm. And so it can feel that your life is hijacked yeah. by this medical schedule that you know you need mm-hmm. because it's going to help you with this disease. But you just are screaming because you want Your days back as they were before. So there's another loss in there.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, we see that so often, don't we? And I think because of the nature of hospitals, there's massive amount of delays. So even though your appointment time might be X, and you've scheduled your work or your life around this appointment, I'd say seven times out of ten, there's delays, and you don't actually get that, and the frustration that comes with that. So we Mm. definitely, definitely see that, which I, I didn't even think of that as a form of loss before now but actually now that you say it it makes so much sense and Mm -hmm. I understand now people's frustration even more you know
2: yeah Yeah. think of that word hijack so think of Mm. so somebody living with cancer Mm. if you if we took a template of their life before cancer and their life after cancer Mm -hmm. and if we overlay those templates one on top of the other you will see so many aspects of their life pre-cancer that are gone from them that are taken from them Mm -hmm. and you know often it's that clash in their head they know that this treatment and this plan is to help them and they welcome that and so many are so grateful for that Mm -hmm. but it doesn't stop them raging against that loss from before and I know say recently um the last month or so Um, I tend to tweet what's in my head. I'm not really on social media except for Twitter and I like it. And there's some great, actually, I I see the communities around, you know, health and grief. So, you know, obviously we look at, say, Vicky feeling around cancer and health. There's an immense community there. She's done incredible work and, and others doing incredible work. And in the grieving community, again, there's an awful lot of people and people are really kind to one another. So sometimes I just get up and I just something comes into my head that I experienced on my own journey with grief. And I just tweeted. And one day I just tweeted. Um, I miss the life that we had when my family was whole. Mm. And it got an immense response. And I, did, I did, you don't, you don't do it to, to, to get the response. You do it to say, for me, I do it to say, if you're out there and you're on a similar journey, this is okay. Well, I think it's okay. <laughs> I think it's OK. It's understandable and normal. It doesn't mean you're not coping. So that's why I will put it out there. But the reason then it gets so much response is because so many people are feeling that. And that might be somebody feeling up with a on a cancer journey. They might be feeling that around. I just miss the life I had when my they mightn't say when my family is whole. They might say when my life was different or when cancer hadn't mm-hmm. come to to visit. And I just think those are important losses to
0: the the power and importance of just saying that that it's normal and that it's OK to feel like that is is just so invaluable because I think oftentimes a lot of the stress comes from. Oh, but I shouldn't probably feel like this. I'm getting treatment and things aren't too bad for me. And I do, you know, that kind of a way. So it's like to hear somebody say, actually, what you're feeling is really normal is um is so important, isn't it?
2: Yeah. There's a great expression that I heard a colleague of mine say probably 15 years ago, and it just resonated. I mm-hmm. have never forgotten it. And he said, it's your problem with the problem that is the problem. Yeah,
0: that's, oh my God, yeah. that's so powerful. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's like, like you said, yeah. it's
2: just a quote yeah. and it just puts things. Yeah, into. it's your problem with the problem that is the problem. So mm-hmm. if you say to yourself, um, I'm receiving treatment for cancer mm. and I'm just fed up with this and raging that I can't just have an ordinary life with little worries and if you say well and I actually I'm going to revise that one who has little worries I don't mean little worries but an ordinary life with maybe worries that you would have had before cancer yeah yeah, yeah. and if you say to yourself what is wrong with me Why am I just not grateful? Why am I not just, you know, marching towards this treatment and this plan completely in it? Why is a part of me hankering after and looking over my shoulder at that life I had and in resentment that I don't have it anymore at the moment? What's wrong with me? That's your problem with the problem yeah the issue is that you resent or you you're sorrowful or you just are frustrated at the life you have to live now with cancer that's okay yeah, yeah. so you don't have to have a problem with mm. that problem yeah I'm popping that on my fridge
1: yeah <laughs> And I think that's good especially I find with a lot of our our male patients as well you know they yeah. just say it's fine it's grand yeah I, I'm going to be fine because I'm getting treatment but it, like you said it's not fine yeah you know and it's I think okay that it's not it's fine. comforting now to feel like it's okay to say to somebody, yeah no, it's not fine mm-hmm.
2: and I think there's something even there with the the gender piece on this in that I'm, I'm not sure yet and I won't dive too deep into this and take us off track but I'm not sure yet really that we've done the work we need to do in the world um when mm-hmm comes to men and feelings where there's huge work people are you can see it people are doing great efforts around it but I but we're not there yet because there's that sense with men of you know maybe I want to just get on with it maybe I don't want to look at those feelings Mm. and but also it can be sometimes I need to just get on with it I don't have space or time or luxury to look at those feelings. So Mm -hmm. I think there's work to be done really with us around that permission and that space and that facilitation of men to be authentic and supported in feeling whatever they feel in the face of their diagnosis or their loss or, you know, the face of a diagnosis of somebody that they love either. Mm -hmm. Just to add that wee piece yeah absolutely I completely agree I think
0: that we all like the, the world has to do a lot more work to get to that space mm. and I think uh, I think even school and, and there's so much things to think about when it comes to that isn't there absolutely. we'll get back to that conversation in just a minute I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about sun protection as the temperatures begin to rise and we spend more time outdoors make sure you have the correct protection for your family skin Too much exposure to the sun's harmful rays can cause sunburn and skin damage. So before you head outdoors this summer, visit your local CarePlus pharmacy to check out a wide range of sun care products on offer. Now back to our conversation. I suppose another reality for some people um, is the sudden loss of fertility because of a cancer diagnosis. Um, We know that this can be extremely difficult for an individual and for their partners. Um, Do you have any... Advice for people trying to navigate this really difficult time.
2: I suppose, as I referred to there earlier at the start, I can uh, relate to that piece. Cancer hasn't been um, a place in my own life as yet, um, but I but infertility has, and it's a really it's a really difficult thing. It's as if you're the way I describe it, it's as if when you can't do what everybody else can seem to do, even people who don't want to do it. So so people find themselves pregnant and and they had no intention of becoming pregnant and yet you're doing all you can and, and you can't and you're having to bring other people into something that should just be between the two of you. And there can be such loss around that. And for me, it's a bit like, so somebody with a cancer diagnosis who perhaps is looking at infertility, it's a bit like, there's a a wall a sort of a glass wall in front of you and you're you're standing this side of the wall and and life and children and families and and that world that you thought you were going to have as a parent is over the other side of the wall and it's a glass wall so you can see it but it's a wall so you can't get through it mm-hmm. and so so the first bit around that probably is I would say to somebody who is living with cancer and looking at infertility is, from a psychological perspective, is to not do anything around that, minimizing that piece of it. So to not say to yourself, well, sure, your look, this treatment is saving my life or giving me my life. So I must be grateful and not really worry about or give out about or lean into those feelings of loss around Parenthood. No, you must mm-hmm. at some point when you're ready and most likely with support. That's a lot for somebody to deal with cancer and infertility. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think the bit around l- grief not only being about death is around the loss with infertility is not necessarily a death, but it's a loss of hope. Mm-hmm. It's a loss of dreams. Mm. it's loss of a future it's a future robbed yeah the life you thought you wanted yeah, yeah. well and you did want and you do want you and do. you still want yeah but it's a life you thought that you would have yeah and now perhaps this wretched disease is saying oh well you know as well as everything else you have going on well maybe I'm just going to take that from you too mm-hmm. so there's there's going to be different responses to that, to that and it's really allowing yourself. My advice there is to say just because that is not a death, just because it's maybe you may not be able to have a baby and bring a child into the world. And you might say, but there's no death there. It's that death of hope. And so it's to allow yourself to feel those feelings and to validate those feelings and to say to yourself, I can understand Mm. how I feel the way I do. If you think of, say, for example, if we went into a primary school and we talked to children and said, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And. You Know in my day, I'm 52, so we all would have had things like in my day, it would be things like want to be a teacher or want to be a ballerina, or you know, that's what people would have said, or, or the, an astronaut and stuff. They all those stuff would have been big stuff then, but now it might be, well, I want to be a YouTuber, yeah. <laughs> an influencer, or whatever. And I'm, 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 I'm being. I'm joking here there'll be some elements of that but there also will be people who will say you know a raft of other professions but within there you'll also find children saying I want to be a mommy yeah or I want to be a daddy or I you know I I and they'll say they'll actually say at a young age and they'll say oh no I want to have I want to have my family because what they want to do maybe is replicate perhaps what they have in That's their own life so, yeah. so so this yeah so this sense of of wanting to be a parent and wanting to love and to nurture and to pass on and to care for. And I think there's something there. Maybe there's an extra layer around that with the cancer piece around. Do so I know now not being a mother that there's a sense almost of, you know, one day I'll be gone. And will there even be a mark on the world? I'll be gone. There'll be nothing. And, and and when generations past me go, you know, nobody will ever say my name. I want to say me, this is how this is for all of us. Mm. One day, you know, nobody will say our name because it will be all in new generations on this on this earth, on this planet. And there's something there about, but will I have made a mark? Mm. And I think and, and I don't, I'm not saying that anybody has children to make a mark, but there's something there about about that legacy, about that bloodline or about that continuation yeah yes yes mm. so 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 and, and I think especially somebody facing cancer where there may be worries about whether this is something that is going to be treatable or whether this is something that's going to take my life mm. there's a there can be an additional set then of feelings of loss around and then it's going to take my chance to leave something behind me too does does that make sense it absolutely does. absolutely does and
0: I think even hearing you explaining it so clearly but it's it seems like it's it's like you said so complex as well and that you don't have to figure it all out on your own and I think Mm -hmm. availing of support and speaking to somebody is is so beneficial Mm and in
1: at that in that space isn't it and something that you mentioned in the book and I think it's so true like life can be so cruel sometimes like if you do realize there's a chance that you're you're not going to go on and have children. You can feel like it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Every person you walk past has three kids and buggies, oh, yeah. and it just sounds like all of a sudden everybody's getting mm-hmm. pregnant. And like you said before, who had no plans on yeah. on yeah. having children, and it mm-hmm. can be really big.
2: I call that bumps and buggies. It's it's like when you, it's like when you buy a certain type of car. That's the Mm -hmm. type of car you see, you know, all the time. Or it's just, you know, that's what we do. We we Mm -hmm. notice things. We see things. We have greater awareness about something when it's irrelevant for us. Mm -hmm. And so, I know doing fertility treatment, which was savagely tough. I remember walking down past the maternity hospital to the fertility clinic, and seeing, you know, seeing families, young families, pregnant women, you know, in and out of the hospital. And it's that glass wall piece. It's over there. But all you're seeing around there is bumps and buggies. But you expect to see that around there Mm. because you're around a maternity hospital. Mm. Um, Well, at least I was in my instance. But actually, when you spread out into the world, that's all you see. And people say things to you like, you know, oh, my gosh, my kids are driving me mad. You're so lucky you don't have someone you can uh, lie in in the morning now they don't mean anything by that yeah. they're not stabbing that you know <laughs> your you in the heart um with a painful sentence that's not what they're looking to do but you, it, it comes across in conversation normal natural everyday conversation that mm-hmm. you're just not part of because yeah. you're not because you're not a parent yeah. and it's the bumps and buggies and the child conversation everywhere mm-hmm. and you do in time in time and with help and i will say I'm a psychologist, but I had gone and, and have gone with losses in my life um, to get some professional help. And, and talking doesn't, it's not going to bring back maybe your fertility. Well, I don't mean maybe it's not going to bring back your fertility. It's not going to bring back, you know, and take away the cancer diagnosis. But what it does is it creates a safe space for you to be authentic with your feelings. Mm. Because often I think, especially in this instance, when we're talking about cancer, you know, cancer comes into your life, but it comes into the life of those that you love and who love you. So there can be a a situation there where people can feel that I can't be authentic with my feelings because I don't want to add any more distress Mm. to family so I'll keep it to myself and and to my friends maybe I want that space with them where cancer isn't yeah you know and we can like we can just have that respite from the c word to just let us you know let me be so I don't really want to go there and maybe I don't go there with my family because I'm afraid with them and so that Therapy space for some people can be a really useful safe space to be authentic with your feelings. It doesn't take cancer away, it doesn't take infertility away, but it can help you understand those feelings mm. which in turn and with processing can help you find ways to learn to live with them. Mm. That makes right. so much sense. Yeah. And I suppose following on from that um it can be
1: very difficult being the person who's trying to support somebody through it as well. Um do you have any advice i suppose something i've found is people say i just don't know what to say and it's really hard to know what to say and they're afraid they're going to upset somebody and i don't i don't want to put any more stress on them do you have any advice for people who are the person who's
2: supporting somebody through a diagnosis yeah i'd have a few thoughts on that Mm -hmm. um so i suppose the first thing to say would be that i think it i'm hesitating but it I don't know that there's a blanket thing on this. I think it depends on the person who has received the cancer diagnosis and what they are like as a person. And it depends on you yourself and what you are like as a person. And it depends on the relationship between the two of you. So, for example, there's when I said cancer hasn't visited us, I mean directly into my family, but I have two friends within you know, the last couple of years who have died with cancer. And in both instances, when I heard about their diagnosis, I was, I rang them. And I won't swear on here, but I just said, this is bleeping bleep. Mm. And they said, oh, thank God. they said oh thank god because i just needed somebody to say this is Mm. dot 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 Mm. and and so so i think it depends but i knew them and I knew how they were, and I knew my relationship with them, and I knew that would be okay. Would mm-hmm. I do that with everybody? No, but with I, I think acknowledge the pain and in a in a reality way, in a way that's realistic, that's reasonable for both of you to to just say something. And for some people, that in my instance will be saying this is bleeping bleep, and then going, "Oh, thank God, now we can have a real conversation," and let me talk about how bleeping bleep this is for me mm. and, they, and they do that and you give them permission to do that because there's that sense with cancer of stay strong or mm. be strong yeah do you go and get lost yeah. when people say that they okay. mean well, perfectly be okay yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and you can on this this and again people mean it so well mm-hmm. but this dreadful word about you can bite it you see i i know this is a podcast but i'm i'm doing air quote things with my it's it's mm-hmm. not a battle i mean that's and i want to be clear on this everybody will have their own personal expression around that and mm-hmm. um, for me when i see the people i know um who have died with cancer i don't see it as a battle with them mm-hmm. that's my own personal take on it so i think one way might be to go that way another way actually michelle might be to go the way that you said there it's absolutely okay to say to somebody I have no idea what to say. Yeah. I just, I am lost for words. I have no idea what to say. But what you, because you can add on there is to say, I'm just so sorry that you're dealing with this. Mm. That's okay. Okay. You don't mm-hmm. have to rewrite it. You don't have to be Shakespearean. You don't have to come mm-hmm. up with some quote that would, you know, set Instagram on fire. You you just have to be authentic with your feelings. And, and people recognize authenticity. Mm-hmm. And when they feel that you really just feel for them, not pity them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. Feel for them. That's OK. And yeah. then and then the last thing I would say is actually, um. So Dara had, my sister Dara, there was three friends in a group. There was Dara, Sarah and Coit and three great pals. And um, Dara died 2017 and Coit died with cancer then later, um, a, a year or so later. And the third friend in that group, Sarah, who has been left on her own now since this, She sent me a card after Dara died. It might have been two years after Dara died. And the card said, if you cannot look on the bright side, I will sit with you in the dark. Mm. And I thought it was such a beautiful card. Um, And I don't know where the expression has come from. I think it's wrongly attributed to C.S. Lewis, but I don't believe it it comes from there. Um, But what it really means is when you're in the pit and in the trenches, I will get into the pit and the trenches with you. Yeah. So I think when you're supporting somebody with a cancer diagnosis, it's about meeting them where they're at and in whatever way you can be helpful to them to get in the pit with them, yeah. then do it. Yeah. Because you don't have to, air quotes again, fix it, because you can't fix it. Yeah. But you can be with them while they handle their hardest times. And for some people and in some relationships, the being with them, will mean putting food in their freezer. Yeah. For others it will be, you know, taking them and in these covid times for a, you know, appropriately distanced whatever, you know, medically allowable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um it might be a walk on the beach. It yeah. might be that you 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 know what their something favorite of theirs is and you send it to them in the post. It, it could be a video call. It can be a chat, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter. It can be bring your puppy over and let them play. It doesn't matter what mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. but it's to not run away. Because I think what happens, although obviously allow them if they want space, some people will not want people in the pit with them. They want to do this on their own and that's OK, too. It's about meeting the person where they are. But sometimes what happens. With a cancer diagnosis or what happens, say, with bereavement loss, is people, it's that bit of I don't know what to say, so I'll stay away. Yeah. So, so, so there's a loneliness that can come with the diagnosis because you're now separated from some people who just can't handle your pain. Mm. And that's okay from their perspective. Sometimes pain is too big for people and they've things going on in their own world. But if you're able to get in the pit in whatever ways are appropriate with mm. the person who has the diagnosis, let them lead you let them guide you but at the same time don't be asking them to make decisions because they've enough going on yeah yeah but but and and be there with them that would be the advice I would give in terms of supporting somebody with cancer and don't do the whole you know No, we're supposed to give do's not don'ts but I am this I'm gonna make my own rules here and mm-hmm. um, you know don't do the you know you'll fight it bit and it'll be okay bit mm-hmm. you don't know that it'll be okay uh, yeah you're yeah. their pal or their sister or their mom or whatever you're not their medic
0: yeah, yeah. and even the medics
1: can't give you that answer you know
2: yeah and I yeah. think good advice even from like a nursing
1: point of view yeah. you know we'll be with somebody when they get bad news and then okay you've got bad news but here's your plan but actually just us acknowledging yeah, this is crap yeah like, you know yeah. What I mean? let's just yeah. sit with that where I crap. think yeah. just be like but this is what we're going to do and it's yeah. It, it's not meant like you said nobody means any harm in it Mm. at all but sometimes it can just be really difficult to acknowledge that Mm. this is crap you know yeah
2: what I would say to you there is from a nursing perspective working with patients with cancer is that if it felt right what you could say is so so you're with them when they get their diagnosis and it might be so take your lead from them but it might be absolutely about saying this is crap mm -hmm. but saying to them you know would you like some time? Because I think that that gap and that space, and I, because th- this happens again with with bereavement loss, where where somebody dies, and then you have to go into organising a funeral and getting a coffin and doing all this. So the equivalent of that with a cancer patient might be that they've just discovered that that lump that it is malignant, that it's, this is cancer, mm-hmm. and then straight away they might be met with. The treatment plan and what are we going to do and for some that may be exactly what they want mm. they may seek it mm. but it certainly would be something that's worth looking at to just read your patient mm. to be able to see and you know something of them perhaps before that moment you've been in the room with them as they've you know received this diagnosis or around them at that time and you might have an idea that there would be some people for whom they do want to go straight to that treatment space, and maybe they go straight to that, but then maybe they go back to the feeling this is crap. Mm. And do you, you know? Would you like some time? Do you need some time? You're not overloading them with questions, but you're ha- you're you're acknowledging the fact that this is an almighty shock, even if it was expected. Mm. Such an important question. Yeah, Isn't absolutely. It's just giving yeah.
1: them. the the chance to make a decision in that moment before we yes
2: yeah yes
0: yes I think that your advice is is um is incredible and I think for for to come from somebody with your with your experience to be able to say to people it's okay to just not know what to say is um is really powerful and like it kind of mirrors everything you've kind of said in the podcast in the sense that it's it it, whatever it is you're feeling is okay
2: and you don't have all the answers Um, And I think there's just one thing there on that that's important to say around if you, so if you feel a lump and you go for those initial tests and you end up in a place in a room with the medical team who tell you or individual who tells you that this is cancer. Well, there can have been an anticipation of that at some point, but it's about understanding that the anticipation of it doesn't stop it impacting. So mm. one of the things I described, we had six hours before Dara died from told him, being told that she was missing. Her and the crew of the rescue helicopter were missing to being told that she died, and I've described, and I think there's links here with the cancer piece. I've described those six hours as being like sitting on a railway tracks, and there's a train. There's a I'm sitting in a car with my family in the car, and it's like the the doors of the car were locked. And there's no key. So you can't move the car and you can't get out of the car. Mm -hmm. But we knew in Dara's instance, the helicopter was down and we just knew that it wasn't likely to go well. So it's as if I could see the train coming down the tracks. And you know that train is going to hit. But when that train hits and these men in our instance stood in Dara's kitchen and told us that her body was the body that had been recovered from the water that's when the explosion hits into your life. That's when the train hits the car and your whole life as you knew it changes. That's the instance, the moment we were talking about earlier. Mm. I think the piece when somebody in a cancer situation feels that lump and goes for the um, investigations and there may be, there's obviously hope, there's I don't know, we'll wait and see. And obviously there's so many people for whom that lump is not an issue, mm. or that symptom is not an issue. But for the people who find that it is, and that this is cancer, in however way that is delivered, it's to understand that just because you can see the train coming down the track and you understand that it might hit, it doesn't mean that it won't hurt when it does hit. Mm. Do you understand? So it's it's allowing. So it's for you as medics, but it's also for your patients, allowing them have that moment and revisit that moment if they need, because it is entirely understandable that Mm -hmm. the loss that a cancer diagnosis brings Mm -hmm. is going to hit in one way, shape or form. And even if you perhaps have seen it coming and I've had clients who will say, I just knew. yeah. or I knew the cancer was back, or I knew this was cancer. They'll just say that themselves. Mm. But even, I want you to understand that it doesn't mean that that won't hurt. Allow for that hurt. Does that make sense? You
0: think that's the most important then? So if you are the person that's anticipating this, you're sitting in the car, you're waiting for the train, do you think that the most important thing in that moment is to understand that it could go one or two ways, you know, to be able to to look at both options, like, each option do you think that's important
2: i think what's more important than that um is to to allow yourself to feel whatever you feel whatever the news is that you get yeah that's the piece less about because I think cognitively you understand you may not understand the ratio Mm -hmm. um in terms of is it more likely to go this way or more likely to go that way Mm -hmm. because we you know we we won't necessarily know that but what you can understand and how you can help yourself is to say I'm not going to expect of myself anything in that moment other than to just be a human being yeah because whatever that brings
1: yeah there was like like
2: you said sitting
1: in the car even if you go in and they say the lump is fine and it, it's it's not malignant you've still had that fear of seeing mm. the train coming towards you and it's like it just stops before it yeah. actually yeah, hits so you yeah. still have all of those, those anxieties just, and worries and stuff because you've merely not that you felt it but you have in a sense you know you felt that fear of the of the train coming towards you it's a really helpful and yeah
2: And I think the bit around it's to understand very clearly when we talk about loss and and the piece around loss doesn't have to be the cancer diagnosis. The piece around loss of innocence and loss of the life I've had before and all of that can be when you begin to notice these symptoms, which Mm -hmm. brings you to an investigation that brings you into the cancer space. And, And it's understanding very much that I suppose when it comes to sort of any of this piece that... You know for a lot of people there isn't a what's the word there isn't a reference point you know people come into this you know this world and it can just be totally new for them it can be very different from what they've known of life before mm. and it's just allowing yourself to feel whatever you feel in that moment and saying that I I just need to be a human being here and the bit around if you're told well you know, so it's okay, the lump is not cancerous or the symptom is not cancerous. It's understanding that, you know, there's a fight or flight or freeze response that comes with loss and grief. Or the threat is not to, you know, a a, a tiger bearing down upon us, Mm. but the threat is to, it might be to our life through cancer, not through predator it might be through to the threat is to our peace of mind, the threat is to our innocence, the threat is to that life we had before. So it's understanding that even if you get that that news that you're OK, you are not going to be, you know, having cancer mm-hmm. as a visitor in your home, that the, the fight, flight or freeze response and all the chemicals in the sympathetic nervous system has been activated with this and so you're you may have this huge adrenaline rush that then adrenaline leaves the body and again you can have a big response there physically and emotionally
0: mm, absolutely that's
2: okay yeah. it's okay
0: i think that's actually so relevant because like it's when i think about it actually anybody that has cancer they they don't necessarily only feel that when the initial diagnosis happens it's a consistent continual thing because from scan to scan and they kind of that happens every time there's a new scan or an mri or something like that you know you're kind of waiting for that moment to happen again so i think that's going to be so so useful for for people um right. i suppose following on and kind of coming towards the end of our podcast and um, which i'm very sad about I've i know literally this has been every word you've <laughs> said but um c- can you recommend any supports available for people going through
2: grief and loss yeah i think there's some wonderful ones out there so the irish hospice foundation is fantastic Mm. they have some great resources and they're very proactive um, and they do different whether it's you know whether it's courses whether it's access to or information about sort of counseling supports um different literature sometimes videos different things they'll do their irish hospice foundation well worth looking at but then you've people like um liz gleason from the shapes of grief podcast Mm -hmm. Um, so she's excellent she's a bereavement counselor and she does some piece around education work around grief as well very very good because again she's not only looking at um grief from bereavement around bereavement she's looking at grief around different types of losses and she's very good so i can recommend her um the good grief festival in the uk again I sign on to them, um, I think it's a yearly fee, I don't know, 20 euro or something, 20 pounds, and you have access to all their um, resources. So this might be people talking about sudden loss, talking about anticipated, because there's a thing, we talk about anticipated grief, Mm -hmm. when you're looking at that train coming. There might be people talking about, you know, um, just the loss of a child or loss of a parent. But within there, there will be losses around other things in life, not just death. And so I think anybody dealing with grief or loss, it's worth looking at these people. Um I think on in general terms you could look at the Psychological Society of Ireland. Either um, they're going to have again, they've a raft of videos, a raft of resources, and certainly there's access there to professionals if anybody needs it too. So I think there's a few bits and pieces there that would be useful. And of course somebody you know hops on to their nearest um, bookseller you'll find and I'm not I'm smiling as I say it because I'm not actually meaning my, my book this isn't a plug but it's incredible so please do <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you. Me, don't worry <laughs> thank you um but I but I think there's lots written about grief and loss so Uh, You know, and it can be useful for some people, they will want maybe an academic piece, you know, a book that's around theories and applications around it. For other people, they will want a personal story. Um, For some, they, you know, there'll be little bits of hybrids in there, but the resources are out there to go and find them. And I think in terms of even looking at my own book, you know, I was dealing at the same time with the, the, the loss of my sister, Um, the loss of my marriage at the same time. And she had introduced us, so there was something so sad about her, Dara's life ending and our marriage ending at the same time. Um, And even though it's amicable, there's just such loss and sorrow about that. And then I had made peace with not being a parent and I found myself um, with my two sisters as guardian to Dara's young son. He was two and a half when she died. And so having made that peace to then, have to turn my head around and, and find myself, as I always describe it, you know, I'd put my hands after i died, put my hands in my pocket in a queue somewhere and I'd take out a, 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 a rolled up sock, you know, or, or a little, you know, a little, a few OT bars or something that were in my pocket that he would have had. And it's, and so it was huge loss. And I, for me, the bit around in the book is if I was a musician, this book would have been an album. Mm, I just needed to do something with the pain I needed to understand it I think I think as a psychologist also as I said it wouldn't have been authentic for me if I didn't address the Mm. loss in my own life probably Mm. because it was such a public loss and has been such a public loss it felt that it wouldn't be authentic to not address that Mm. but I but even if that had not been the case I I just needed to do something with the pain and a one hour session. uh, Psychology sessions were wonderful and really helpful But I needed to do more. And for me, it turned out to be a book. So Mm. for people to realize that there are others out there, it might be a song. It might be a poem. It Mm. might be a book. But just, you know, widen your lens out and have a little look and take your time with those things. You know, you don't have to have a diagnosis on a Monday and go looking for resources on a Tuesday.
0: Yeah. Take your time. It's okay. Be gentle and compassionate with yourself. Yeah. Mm. Neve, thank you so much. This has been incredible. I suppose is there anything that we've missed or anything that you feel like you wanted to add that we didn't touch off
2: at all? No, I think you covered some really good stuff. I think it's not about you know everything about cancer one oh one. You know, so it's not about in uh, capturing it all, but I think we've touched on some salient parts with it you mm. know there are of course there are others and the three of us will finish this call and we'll all think of five things that yeah. we could have added in but yeah. people have their lives to live mm. and they don't need a seven-hour podcast so yeah. I would be really happy that certainly for the first conversation around this um that you and I have had anyway um, that we've talked about some good stuff and yeah I think hopefully it will help people
1: Thanks, Eve. and just for anybody listening, do you take clients on or are you fully booked? You do, yes. If I
2: do, edge. yeah. So yeah. at the moment, um, I'm talking to you, we're still in this uh, time of pandemic, so I'm seeing clients remotely and we will continue to do that really until we're quite out of it. So uh, I'm doing sessions on Zoom. Some people prefer a phone call conversation and we do that. And what's amazing, it's been incredible to me um, that People are saying to me, you know, when this is all over and I can come back to see you, well, do you think you'd give me the option of a Zoom call if one day I felt like. an amazing thing for people to say that there has been that um adaptation and adjustment Mm -hmm. really um so i'm hoping to have a hybrid model where i will see some clients face to face if that's Mm -hmm. what they wish and others will be virtually face to face with Mm -hmm. with the zoom sessions and stuff Mm -hmm. um so yeah i am seeing being people absolutely i've got a website which is um, Niamh Fitzpatrick Psychology.ie, so people can check that out We'd there. Direct people
1: to that, then on our Instagram and on Twitter and stuff yep. like that as well. Thank, thank,
0: thank you. you so much, and thanks thank for all the so work much. you do. You're, I, I think you're incredibly inspiring. Amazing. So thank you so much. Thank you're you.
2: welcome, and I have to say right back to the two of you, I, because I think that bit about, you know, yes, you choose your profession because you like it and love it and and want to do it, but being in the pit with people in their worst or their best moments of life, depending on what happens with their cancer journey, you know, that's tough going. So, so for you uh, to just lob that ball back over the tennis court you. and say, to you, well, I think you're fairly inspiring the pair of you too. And I mean this in a nice way, but I hope I never meet you. <laughs> <laughs> I hope if we meet, it's post-pandemic and it's for a coffee. I oh, yeah. never <laughs> land in person <portable laughs> professionally. I mean, not generally, you never think you hear yeah, it so yeah.
1: often. <laughs> <laughs> I never want to see you again. Yeah. So thank you I, for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Answers for Cancers podcast. Please share this podcast with anybody who you think it might help. Also, if you can like and subscribe, it lets people know we're here. You can alternatively contact us on Instagram at the Answers for Cancers underscore podcast. And if you have any questions on anything that we discussed today, please email us at the Answers for Cancers podcast at gmail.com.